0: you make. Well, as we turn our attention to the word of the Lord, let's bow and pray together. And then we will be looking together at first Thessalonians this morning. Will you bow with me and let's pray. Father in heaven, you are good. You are just, you are fair, you are righteous, you are holy. And this morning, Lord, we have sung songs to you declaring how awesome and wonderful and amazing that you are. We have given of our, of our tithes and our offerings, giving back just a small portion of what you've blessed us with. Lord, we've worshiped through baptism, God, so many different ways that we have worshiped you. And now we turn our attention to your holy and perfect word. Father, nobody's turning their attention to a preacher this morning. We are turning our attention to your word. And I pray, Father, that as I speak, it would only be your word spoken that you would shut my mouth and that you would speak through me with your words. God, we love you so very much and we are desperate to hear from you this morning. Lord, would you teach us? Would you help us to grow in our faith? Lord, would you convict us and motivate us? Would you challenge us to strive hard after you? We love you, Lord Jesus. We ask all these things in your precious name by the power of the Holy Spirit. To God our Father in heaven, amen, amen. If you have your Bible with you, I encourage you to take it and turn with me to the book of 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, it's in the New Testament, be back towards the back part of your Bible, you'll make it through the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll get to Acts, and then Romans, and First and Second Corinthians, you'll work your way through the general electric power cooperative, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, uh, Colossians and then right after that you'll get into the T's. You have First and Second Thessalonians and the Timothys and Titus. so there's just walking your way through the New Testament. We're there in First Thessalonians. If you didn't happen to bring your Bible with you this morning, I encourage you to take one and borrow it from the pew that's there in front of you, the back of it. If you don't have a Bible at home, feel free to take that with you. Let it just be our gift to you. Uh, but whether you're accessing your copy of God's Word digitally or in print, I do encourage you, if you're physically able, would you please stand out of reverence for the public reading of God's holy word? We'll look together at these ten verses that compile the first chapter of 1 Thessalonians. I'll read for us when I've completed. I'll say this is the word of the Lord. If you are genuinely grateful for this word, I encourage you to respond by saying thanks be to God. Let's look together now. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, your labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come this is the word of the lord thanks be to god you may be seated we'll be spending a little bit of time here in 1st Thessalonians as we move into the christmas season 1st Thessalonians is a wonderful letter Paul meets the Thessalonians in Acts chapter 17 during one of his missionary journeys. He probably writes this letter back to the Thessalonians because of his stint in Corinth. He spends about 18 months, about a year and a half, in the city of Corinth ministering to that church. And most scholars believe that while he's there during that year and a half period, he hears some troubling news From the church in Thessalonica. So he writes a letter to the Thessalonians to help them along. And so this is that letter. We see where he spends that 18 month stint in Corinth in Acts chapter 18, and we see some of the crew that are with him, and then they are absent from him as he continues on in his journey. So it's Probable that he sends Timothy or Sylvanus, often referred to as Silas. One of the two of them is there helping Paul write this letter, and he probably sends one or, or both of them to carry this letter to the Thessalonians. And so it's a, it's a team effort. But what happens in Thessalonica is they become believers, as you just read. They welcome Paul. They welcome all of his crew. They turn from worshiping false idols, and they believe in and worship the one true living God. So faith in Jesus is not something that they struggle with. Even though he says in the beginning of this letter, they came to faith in much affliction. You know, it's, it's funny, you read that line, and I, I don't know about you, but I don't know personally many people who have grown up in the United States who have come to faith under much affliction. What a testimony to the Thessalonians that it wasn't as easy for them as it is for us to come into faith in Christ Jesus. Take Charlie, for example. This morning was a culmination of years of prayer and investing from the entire Philpott family, from our entire church family. We spend time with our children, hoping and praying with weighted expectation praying and begging God that they would be saved, that they would trust in Jesus. When people get baptized, they see out here in our congregation, people stand to their feet in excitement and joy. It's one of my favorite things about our church, by the way, that just spontaneously we erupt in applause and stand to our feet to recognize the wonderful thing that has happened in baptism. Man, that's the kind of environment that a lot of us grew up in, where people are excited when you trust in Jesus. I mean, honestly, the conversations that I have to have in my office typically are about, do you really trust in Jesus? Are you doing this for the right reasons? Are you doing this because your brother or your sister did it? Are you trusting in Jesus because your mama and your daddy really want you to be a Christian? Are you want to be baptized because you really want everybody to stand up and clap for you? What's the real motivation here? What if none of that was happening? Because that's the situation that the Thessalonians came to faith then hostility affliction there was no warm welcome for them when they left their false idols and began to worship Jesus as was true in most of the places where Paul planted churches they worshiped false gods and around a guild. So like the blacksmiths would all worship gods that helped them in their smithing. They would worship Artemis. And so you were giving up worship of Artemis. And to do that meant you were blackballed from society. It meant that there was no job available for you. It meant that no matter how hard you tried, you couldn't get ahead in society anymore. You were giving up your financial and economic stability to trust in Jesus. More than that, you were giving up the financial and economic stability of your children, of your grandchildren. But all of it was worth it to the Thessalonians because they truly believed in Jesus. They genuinely came to faith in Christ Jesus, even amidst afflictions. But Paul writes back because they've got a problem. They're really confused about when Jesus is coming back, about how this... Return of Christ is going to go down. They want to know what happened to the people that lived in Thessalonica that trusted in Jesus that have already died because they were persecuted for their faith or because they were starved to death because they couldn't find a job after trusting in Jesus. What about these folks, Paul? Well, what happens to them? You know, in so many of Paul's other letters, there's false teachers that come in behind Paul and really just usurp all that Paul did. He, they just take out all the roots that Paul have, has planted and they replant something completely different. And people have a false understanding of the Gospel. Think about the, the letter to the Galatians. Remember how they had works and faith completely mixed up and, and they thought that they had to work hard and follow Jewish laws for their salvation. They were very confused. That's not the case in the letter, letters to the Thessalonians. They understand about faith. They understand what it means to follow Jesus, but they just don't understand what's going to happen when Jesus comes back. And guys, I got to be honest with you, I think that Thessalonians are in good company today. Wouldn't you agree that there's a little bit of confusion, there's a little bit of uh, concern about when and how and where Jesus is actually going to come back? How many of you over the last 18 months to two years as as coronavirus has been rampaging, how many of you have heard that Jesus is coming back today or tomorrow or a certain day or this is the exact sign of the time or if we turn to this passage, what's happening in the news today is proof of that passage. How many of you, I mean, you just can't get away from it, right? It's all over Facebook. It's all over all the Instagram posts. It's all over social media. People are out there. They're saying this is it. This is the end times. I, I could totally see where that could be happening for the Thessalonians. And you'll notice every chapter as we work our way through this letter, every chapter mentions the second coming of Christ. Look there in verse 10 of of our passage this morning. And to wait for His Son from heaven. Even in the introduction, we're talking about waiting for Christ and waiting for Jesus to return to us. It shows up in every single chapter of 1 Thessalonians. This is the main theme of the letter. And then as I was praying and, and getting ready for where the Lord might lead us next in our sermon series, I thought, what better a time to talk about Jesus coming back than around the time we remember and celebrate the first time that Jesus came. So we're going to spend a little bit of time here in the Christmas season approaching, looking at when Jesus returns again and the differences that there will be between His first coming and when He comes back again. The difference between the little baby in the manger and the conquering king on the white horse. So that will be where we're headed. But this morning, before we can get into all of that, Paul spends some time still on the cusp of Thanksgiving, if you will, grateful and thankful for the Thessalonians. Y'all, this is not just some nicety to put in a letter. I've told you many a times before, it is extremely difficult in the first century In the time that Paul is writing, it is a huge challenge to come up with parchment to write on, ink to write with. You do not waste ink and parchment. They do not put extra letters in there. When they wrote, they wrote with no punctuation. They wrote in mostly all capital letters and they didn't even put spaces between their words. So you didn't really know when the last word ended and the next word begins. If you look at some of the earliest manuscripts that we have, they are doing their level best to conserve space as much as possible. Have you ever written a thank you note to somebody? And you start off at the top and you're not really sure what all you're going to say. And so you say, dear beloved brother or sister in Christ." I am so grateful. And then as you're writing, the Lord brings to mind things that you're grateful of. And so by the time you get to the end, you're like, and I'm so thankful for the fact that you are a kind person to me. Okay, I've run out of space. All right, we'll will flip over onto the back. Have, have you ever been that person that you just write in these huge, big block letters and then as you go down, they get smaller and smaller? Well, they they weren't going to waste their time with any of that. They started as small as they could, as close as they could. They didn't waste time on punctuation. I say all of that to say Paul isn't just being flowery at the beginning of his letters when he says he's thankful and grateful. It's not just some form letter where he's got to get through the niceties and then we got to get to the meat of the letter. But if we're honest with ourselves, how many times do we go to Scripture and read the Bible and we just want to brush through chapter 1? You know, you get Paul, Savannah, and Timothy to the church of Thessalonians, and God, the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you that's welcome, okay? We give thanks to God. We're thankful. We're remembering the Holy Spirit, full of conviction. All right. Wait for His Son from heaven. All right, chapter 2. This is where we're getting into stuff. Guys, we, we can't brush past these welcomes, these thanksgivings, because they're not given. They're not there just to be flowery. But see, in our culture today, we have a lot of flowery language. We have a lot of politeness, especially down south. Like it's hard to find out what somebody really thinks about you. And if somebody's very direct with you and tells you exactly what they think about you, how many of us walk away going, golly, that person's just rude. They must be from somewhere. They're from up north or something. You know what I mean? You have a conversation with Karen Philpott. She's going to tell you exactly what she thinks. And you walk away going, I don't think Karen was raised around here. Something something might not be right. She's just straightforward. She's going to tell you like it is. had this sweet woman who was at my, my last church, and when I left one Sunday morning, somebody said, Pastor, you, you look so nice and thin. Have, have you lost some weight? And this precious older woman said, No, he ain't lost no weight. He just got a new suit. He's as fat as he's always been. <laughs> I mean, it was true, okay? She was telling the truth. It's still stung just a little bit, though. You know, the truth hurts sometimes. That's abnormal, all right? When people act like that down here in the South, we go, what is wrong with them? Everybody in the church that day left thinking, can you believe she said that to the pastor? Like, it's just the way that we are. And so we come to this beginning, and we think these are just niceties. This is just being polite like we are, just saying, hey, and how are you? How, how many times do you say, how you doing? How, how are you? And, and, and you just nod and you keep going. Like stop and answer that question one time when somebody asks, how are you doing? Well, it's just been a rough time. And they're still trying to walk. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Been hard. Yeah, right. Well, I'm so sorry. I'll be praying. Okay, we're going in details. All right. why'd I ask that question. Because we don't really mean it. We just say it. It's just something to say. It's just politeness. It's just niceties. Paul's not that way. One of the reasons I know he's not that way is because the letter we referred to earlier, the letter of Galatians, it doesn't start with a thank you. It doesn't start with, oh, my beloved Galatians, I'm just so grateful in the Lord Jesus Christ for your faith and your steadfastness and your hope. When Paul starts the letter to the Galatians, you might remember that sermon series. You guys are idiots. What are you doing? I can't believe you've left the gospel. You knew what the gospel was. I can't believe that we're having to have this conversation. Paul jumps right in and starts tearing them a new one. I mean, it is no niceness, no politeness. So don't rush through a greeting. Don't rush through a thank you just because it seems like it might be polite or the appropriate thing for Paul to say. It's not. Paul is thankful. These qualities that you read about in this first chapter were genuine, true qualities Of the Thessalonians. This is how they lived. This is their reputation among all of the churches. And if you don't think that that's still true today. That churches don't have a certain reputation. Then you are sorely mistaken. There are churches who have a reputation for being argumentative. There are churches that have a reputation for chewing up and spitting out pastors. There are churches that have a reputation for being generous. There are churches that have reputations for being stingy. There are people who have opinions about our church just from all of them watching online. Hello to you out there in Internet land. They've tuned in because they've been told watching a specific cooking show that they ought to tune in. They see what songs that we play. They participate. And I'm telling you, there's this whole little online community that exists in the comment section of our services. And they have their own communication to one another. They have complaints. They have wonderful things to say. But there's an opinion about us, even among all those who watch online. Churches have a reputation. And look with me at the reputation that the Thessalonian church had. Paul says in verse 2 that they give thanks every time that they pray. They pray constantly. They mention the Thessalonian church in their prayers. They remember this about the Thessalonian church. Their work of faith. Their labor of love. Their steadfastness in hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Their work of faith, their labor of love, and their steadfastness of hope in Jesus Christ. Even though they're confused about the second coming, they are filled. They are filled with hope. You know, this is a recurring theme that Paul comes back to. Faith, hope, and love, right? Faith, hope, and love. Your work of faith, your labor of love, Your steadfastness in hope. He rearranges them a little bit this time because he's focusing on that hope. That hope of the second coming. That hope that there will be a time when Jesus makes all things right. So he ends with hope. But those are true facts about the Thessalonian church. I just want to ask a simple question this morning. As a church, what do you think people say about us? As a church, if we were to have a missionary write us a letter, would that missionary just be being polite? Would that missionary be being grateful and just niceties listed off at the beginning of the letter? Or would they be able to genuinely say that we are a church that has a work of faith among us, that has a labor of love? a church that's steadfast in our hope in Jesus? Or would they say, man, that that Bethany Baptist, it's a bunch of hoity-toity people down there. They're going to look down their nose at you. What would our brothers and sisters in Christ say of us, other churches, even around our state? How would they describe us as a church? I just want to drill down another level beyond that. How would people describe you? When was the last time that you got a text, a phone call, a letter? When was the last time I got a text, a phone call, or a letter thanking me that my faith is at work in the community? That there is a labor of love that is evident in the way that I live, the way way that I walk, the way that I talk, the way that I carry myself. When's the last time somebody was grateful for my steadfastness in hope? being firm in the hope that the Lord Jesus will come back. Can somebody say that about me or do I look like a chicken with my head cut off running around absolutely frantic and scared out of my mind because of the circumstances. Inflation, oh no, what are we going to do? Supply and demand, ah Delivery, log chain blocks. There's so many of the dead gum ships that are that are in the port that they can't get the stuff off. Can I get my presents in time? The vaccine. Ah! Do I take it? What if they tell me to take it? What do I do? Where do I go? Ah! Am I steadfast in my hope? Am I steadfast in knowing that when there seems to be no hope, when there's mandates that you don't agree with coming down the line, when your business is in jeopardy because if you tell your employees that they have to have the vaccine to continue working, they're just as likely to say, See, man, I'm out. I'll find somewhere else to work where they're not telling me to take that vaccine. And there you are just trying to run your business. Is your faith still at work? Is your hope still steadfast? Do you remember that even among much affliction, the Thessalonians were faithful? That even among much affliction, the Thessalonians had labors of love within their community, within their city. Their hope was steadfast. They didn't even understand how Jesus was coming back. They needed this letter for Paul to remind them and tell them this is what will happen when Jesus returns. They didn't have a solid understanding or the best doctrinal dissertation you could find. They didn't have theological ground to stand on, but they had hope. I don't know how it's going to work out. I don't know when Jesus is coming back. I don't know what the second coming is going to look like, but I got hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's going to work out. We always say that little phrase, and it's always so trite and cliche, you know. I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know who holds tomorrow. And we say it just like that, don't we? When's the last time we took it to heart? I I don't know what's going to happen with the vaccines. I I don't know what's going to happen with all the supply chain blocks and all the gas prices and all the political stuff. I, I don't know. But I know who sits on the throne. And I'm going to make my hope steadfast, regardless of what's going on in life. I'm going to continue to hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, because nothing is going to change my hope. Nothing is going to change my faith. This life can be taken from me, but that's not going to change my hope and my faith. I know where I'm going. Is that our attitude individually? Is that our attitude as a church? We, we pass through thanksgiving. We just move right along. And sometimes we don't show the thankfulness in our heart that shows how much hope we have. When people are under a lot of affliction, it's really hard for them to be thankful. When people are thankful, their hope shines through. The Thessalonians We're steadfast in hope, in the midst of affliction. Paul is grateful to them, and they have an attitude of gratitude. They have thankfulness in their heart. How many of us blow past Thanksgiving the same way that we blow past chapter 1? Folks, I want to encourage us to be imitators of Paul. To be imitators of the Lord, just as he says in verse 6. So that we can be, in verse 7, an example to all believers. This morning, it's one of the few times that I can say with all certainty that Scripture encourages us to be like the Thessalonians. Because they became an example to all believers. Even though we're separated by thousands of years, they became the example for us. They became an example to all believers. Because of their work of faith, their labor of love, and their steadfastness in hope. Folks, the world is crazy. It's always been crazy. It's only going to get crazier. Let us be the church that is defined by our work of faith, by our labor of love, by our steadfastness in hope. Even in the craziness. Even amidst the chaos. Let us live as though we hold in our hearts the peace of Christ, the peace that surpasses all understanding. That doesn't mean that we don't care. It just means that it doesn't rock our boat. The wind and the waves can come howling and our boat stays steady as she goes. How's your boat this morning? How's your hope? Is it steadfast? Is it wavering? Maybe this morning you you feel pretty hopeless because you've never trusted in the one who gives us real hope. Maybe you feel hopeless and you've trusted in Jesus. But this morning you feel hopeless because somewhere along the way, that work of faith fell to the wayside. Somewhere along the way, life just got too hard. And you thought, there's no way that Jesus could really be here. There's no way that God could really love me. There's no way that God's really present. And that hope that was once steadfast and straightforward begins to look like a flapping butterfly fluttering all over the place. Folks, I want to assure you Jesus loves us, died for us, and he is coming again. And until he does, let us be faithful to the work of Christ. Let us labor in love for God and for others. Let us be steadfast in our hope. And the only way to do that is to trust in Jesus. The only way to do that is to have faith. He'll fulfill His promise. And I'm telling you, He will. Let's not brush past chapter 1 and miss that there's a lot of hope to be had as we wait. As we wait for His Son from heaven, who was raised from the dead, Jesus, the only one who delivers us from the wrath that is to come. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you that you made a way through Jesus for us to have hope. Father, thank you that you made a way for us to escape the wrath that we deserve. The wrath that Jesus, that you took on the cross on our behalf. Lord, this morning we we don't need a shot of a vaccine. We need a shot of faith. We need a shot of hope. We need for our love to be restored. God, would you help us to be defined individually and collectively by our faith in you, by our love for you and for our neighbors. And by our steadfast hope, even in the face of this crazy world. And Father, if there's anyone here this morning, or anyone who's listening, who doesn't have hope in you because they they don't have faith in you, would you move on their heart? Help them to hear this morning that there is a way to escape the wrath. And it's through Jesus Christ. And there will be a day that Jesus returns. Lord, please, don't let anybody listening this morning be on the wrong side of His judgment. Lord, restore us. Revive us. Help us. We pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.